heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Rocky, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about The Final Prophecy by Greg Keyes, in which sneaking into an enemy planet is a great plan. Zonama Sekut continues to not be a myth, and Naminor is truly showing off again. So, grab your billop, tune in, and enjoy the show! And, as a reminder, we are spoiler-free for the last book in this series, or any further Legends books, even though Rocky usually has to get hit with a spoiler bat a few times. But we will be thoroughly discussing today's book. So if you haven't read it yet, what are you doing here? Pause this recording, go read, then come back and join us. So, we're almost to the night? point where the spoiler bat will be redundant. It's we're almost there. Oh, unless we have to episodes. shut me up about something Legacy of the Force related, but... No, see, that's fine. No, no, no. I feel like <laughs> after the next book... Like, or not even after the next book, but once we start, once we do the next episode, too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all from free from there. Look, this is not the Legacy of the Force cast. And we are not doing, and we're not doing Legacy of the Force cast or are a Fate of the Jedi sure? cast. I am positive, Rocky, so we're help not. me God. I really uh, appreciate the enthusiasm from people who want us to do more things, but. If we do end up discussing that, I can give you the warning that those will not be the things. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a couple more episodes planned after the next one. We have at least two. So we have plenty of time to talk me out of Legacy of the Force. Okay. We're not doing Legacy of the Force. Rocky, I don't <laughs> drink anymore, okay? I cannot I cannot go through the Darkness trilogy without alcohol. So Oh no, no, I wasn't suggesting it because I don't really drink anymore. So therefore, I don't think I'm going to read the Darkness trilogy in the first place. And the thing is, you really have to experience Darkness before you move on to Legacy of the Force so everything makes sense because that's the book in which uh, where's the spoiler bat? But <laughs> <laughs> But that doesn't matter right now. You know why? Why? Because we're not talking about Legacy of the Force. We're talking about the final prophecy. Wait, I have a segue. So as of now, especially as of this book, I think I'd prefer to just pretend that none of that happened because then I can pretend that Nenyim and Tahiri lived happily ever after. Yes! I have some news for you. Oh, no. It happened in this book. Nenyim is dead. (laughs) It did, but... She lives forever in my heart, you see. So that's the story I'm writing for a three-book trilogy and then however many Legacy of the Force was. It's just the adventures of Nenyim post-war, getting along with people and teaching them to be friends and maybe shaping some weird monstrosities along the way. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean, maybe? Definitely. Oh, boy. Okay, so we're going to get into that. That's not actually the first thing on our list. The first thing on the list is the summary. Oh, that'd be me. All right, hold on. Got to do the throat clearing before I dive into this. All right. Whoa. Okay, so I did yeah. at the back. Yeah. Did you just notice the thing on the Jedi's? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Jedi's with a... Um, oh. an apostrophe where's, per, for where's possession. My, where's my red pen of editing and correcting? 
No, it's not wrong. It's for possession. It just looks no, weird. It's, no, it's wrong. Right? No, Jedi is Jedi, Jedi is a plural, enemy. And a plural noun. Right? Yeah. It's well, singular, that's plural, right? <laughs> it's the apostrophe's wrong. True. Ooh. Oh, that hurts me. Oh. It would be Look, English I was my worst yeah. subject in school, and even I know that's wrong. Well, Jedi is not exactly an English word, so that's probably why. Something uh, I feel better about my Star Wars proofreading being better than my actual English abilities sometimes. I would really be interested to know if there was a conversation in the holocron about this. Someone ask Leland. Okay, let me try to read this now that I'll suffer through that word. As a beleaguered galaxy fights its way back from the brink of destruction, the Jedi's most fearsome enemy plots to end the war and claim victory with an act of final domination. The troubles for the embattled living planet, planet Zenobusakot, have just begun. As Luke Skywalker and Jason Solo negotiate its place in the galactic struggle against the Yuuzhan Vong, one of its organic ships is taken by the alien invaders. Scientist Nanyim is ordered to use the captive to find weak spots in Zenobusakot's technology. But when Nen Yim discovers about the planet and its mysteries shock her to the core. Clearly, her people have gone terribly astray. For the peace-loving plant harbors not only the key to its own destruction, but the long-forgotten secrets of the Yuuzhan Vong themselves. Meanwhile, General Wedge Antilles, commanding one fleet in a three-pronged campaign to retake the Bilbringi system, is suddenly stranded deep in Yuuzhan Vong space, cut off from all contact. Wedge and his ships must rely on trickery and brilliant battle tactics if they are to survive long enough to ensure the success of one of the deadliest and most crucial missions the Galactic Alliance forces have ever undertaken. I feel like the people who write these don't actually read the book. No. I mean, that happens, but I think it's hilarious that Luke and Jason get back cover credit when they're barely in it. And you never really find out what Nanyim discovered in this book because she she dies right after she finds it out yeah yes and i realized that only because this is not my first read in this series did i have any idea what was going on (laughs) because uh otherwise everybody else would be like so what did she find out (laughs) like that's how they keep you coming back for the next and last book well yes yeah but hey wedge is back Yes, yes, Wedge is back and in truly excellent form. Oh, I love Wedge. I do too. You know how much fun we would have doing the doing the whole Rogue Squadron series? Just saying. Okay, before I get sidetracked again. Someone already did that, Rocky. <laughs> this is, add that to my list of other things to listen to. <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be a mess of an episode. <laughs> Yes, business as usual, right? (laughs) (sighs) We liked this book. I I think that's been the general conclusion so far. This book was an absolute relief after the trilogy. Yes. I feel like this book is the only thing that keeps me going through some of the Forest Heretic stuff. I did not love the Wedge stuff. I was a little bit bored. And of course, I have old sad feelings about Nanyim's death, but I understand that it was a plot point that, like, it happened for structural plot reasons. Not that they couldn't have written around them, but at least wasn't, like, totally pointless. 
but overall, I did really like this book. It gets back to the kind of core characterizations that I really enjoy. And the Zanamasi code stuff was really cute with, like, the starship was really cute. Yes. Yes. I had thought that they spent more time with those ships. I know the final prophecy, excuse me, the um, unifying force is a very long book, so it might just be that I took most of my ideas from it. But I remember that Sakatan ship being in a lot more of the series than it was. Hmm. Hmm. One way or the other. I also have realized that I don't remember a lot of what happens in the Unifying Force. So, because there That's were a good. few things. Good. Yeah. There were a few things that happened in this book that I thought had happened later, but I guess not. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, there I only were... remember the Tahiri stuff from this yes. book. Yes. I remember the Nenyim, some of the Tahiri stuff. I did not remember how many good little quotes there were here and there. Corin and Tahiri's dynamic could have been so drawn out. I imagine, especially if this started earlier in the series, it would have been a several book saga like Jason and Luke's relationship was. But instead, it all goes rather quickly, but still feels nice. I admit I have a fondness for Corin Horn. I know it's kind of cool to make fun of him in the fandom, but... I kind of find him charming, and so, like, his mistrust of her was understandable to me, and, like, he messes up a lot in this book. Like, he just falls down an elevator shaft and face plants, <laughs> and I resist that. What is that? It <laughs> uh, does not apply in this case, no. <laughs> I think that, for me, what would have made... And I always really liked how Greg Keyes writes Tahiri and Corin, but... I wish we had seen more interactions with them earlier in the series. Yes. Like, if yeah. we had seen something between them, and we may have seen, like, a very brief moment, but it doesn't sound out, but, like, back when they were uh, during the Aaron Alston books or something closer to before she started having the split personality issues, that would have made it feel all more cohesive, especially when she's like, I just want you to be my master, which also... I was like, you got knighted, girl? I, I, you technically don't need a Jedi Master. Hmm. That definitely felt like there was some kind of underpinning that should have been there, almost to the degree, the degree where I just mentally in, filed it in as like, oh, she must have like kind of been looking up to him this whole time. But that was not really in the series. No. I mean, we had this, that one book where he found them making out in a lock, well, Terry and Anakin yeah. making out in a locker, but yeah. But yeah. I still like what he did with what real estate he was given. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like behind the scenes my brain wanted to fill in that that there's been a much longer history of Corin trying to mentor Tahiri or some kind of it felt like we were missing a few things in there. Wasn't he one of the teachers in the um the young Jedi Knights era. Cause I remember uh, him as no. being okay. Cause I remember him as being kind of with Kyle Katarn and Luke in that original class of Jedi oh, teachers. So he was he was in the original class of students. Yeah, he was so, one of the earliest of Luke's students. Yeah. And so, it seemed like a lot of those ended up by default becoming teachers because 
Okay, hold on, wait, wow, wait, wait, wait. Who else? Because what you're thinking of is so when we got I Jedi, um, Kevin J. Anderson had deliberately left space for people to include other members of that founding Jedi class. So Stackpole was able to write corn into it and then basically wrote around the entirety of all the uh XR Kun nonsense that happens on Yavin 4. Um but then he went back to once he rescued his wife he went back to the new republic so he was flying around with rogue squadron for most of it um okay he never did the full-on devoted to the jedi order until a lot later on um he was never really one of the teachers because he even says in this book that like he's not a jedi master Mm -hmm. okay interesting I have a lot of useless knowledge about pilots in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that that all makes sense because because I felt like I had a few gaps here and there, and I was wondering how much did my brain fill in, and how much is vague remembrances of books I have not read for many, many, many years. In a way, that's credit to Greg Hughes for making that relationship feel like it didn't come out of nowhere, even though it kind of did. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was ready to be like Tahiri Defense Squad. Why doesn't he trust her? But it was paced in such a way that it didn't get annoying, I thought. Also, that's yes. just Corin in general. Corin doesn't trust people. And it actually did make decent sense in context because uh considering how much of a horrifying up-and-down mess that Tahiri has been through lately. Yeah, it kind of makes sense for people who are not immediately very close to her to know that she is trustworthy. I mean, heck, it took a while for her to convince those people who were very close to her yeah. to, that she was going to be okay. And she's still trying to figure everything out. Um, yeah. One like of the nice one of the yeah. nice moments between, actually it was both Tahiri Korin and Nenyam, well, nice isn't the right word, but um, I liked it when Corin went to ruffle Tahiri's hair in a camaraderie way, and he ended up, uh, and Tahiri just shied away, mm-hmm. and Nenyam had to explain, no, like, it's, it's part of Rena and Domaine Quad, we do not touch the head. And I was like, huh, that's a very telling character moment for all three of them, because Corin just kind of went, he was t- taken back at first, and then went, oh, okay, <laughs> I can accept this. Yep. And it almost seemed like Tahiri had a little bit of a light bulb moment there of, oh, so that's why people touching my head is not okay for me right now. I like how she spoke about herself as she used to be a different person, but the person she is now is also a singular person. And I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but the conversation she has when she discovers that she has Nen Yim's memories Mm. is just, I think, a delightful hook into that relationship which of course didn't really go very far yeah but it also felt like for Tahiri's character arc I'm very glad that she actually had a chance to meet and talk to Nenyim outside of horrifying Shaper laboratory yes and I feel like it gave a lot of Tahiri's journey or her character journey a lot more it made it make more sense and felt more complete overall working really well with the theme that 
Tahiri and Rina really are one person. They've figured this out, mostly, vaguely. They're not actively killing each other or trying to. I mean, I think it's I think it's fair to say they figured each other out, but it's it's like all newer friendships where there's still moments where you're not going to be entirely sure. Yeah. I like I've, the God. I like the more serious stuff that um that you go into later, Rocky, but I want to point out the silly thing, which is that the lightsaber Tahiri is holding on the cover is Qui-Gon's lightsaber because that's huh. the model that there were so many toys with that hilt in this era. And I think that they just took a toy as the example, but that is definitely Qui-Gon's lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I hadn't even noticed that before. No, neither had I. Huh. I'm not sure I had back then, or I had just thought like, well, sometimes lightsabers look like this, but looking at it now, it gives me this sense memory of this plastic toy that I had. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. So do we want to keep talking about Nanyim then? I like the rest of the stuff Rocky has in her notes. Yeah. Rocky, yes. technically you're in charge. I mean, do we want to go through the rest of the stuff and then go back to Nanyim because that's going to take all of us a little while? Probably. You're in charge. She's next yeah. on the on the list. Awesome. It's your notes. Um, <laughs> yes, yep. I have a bunch of Nanyim related notes. So that's the way we're going. <laughs> Yeah, my notes started with, I know that this is the book she dies in, but I'm still really sad about it. I think everyone who listens to this knows by now that she is the most important character in the series. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <sighs> I loved all of, like, I really loved all of the scenes with her being the heretic shaper, kind of being left to commit heresy because the Supreme Overlord told has decided she's more useful that way. It's all of those little scenes there, all of this build-up, the very way she escapes, just... It feels like she's grown up a lot as a character from first getting her Shaper Adept's hand all the way up to now. I love Nenyam a lot, okay? And I forgot how much until this reread. <laughs> yeah, one of my other little notes that I made in this was Nenyam is often very detached, scientist, analytical, very deeply not believing in the gods as actual things, but instead as metaphors, ways to explain how the world works. And every so often she just gets those moments of amazement and wonder, like actually seeing Zonama Sekat walking on it, mm -hmm. realizing she's learned something very important about it. The moments where she stops being a scientist and she's just so in awe of everything. That moment where she walks onto the planet for the first time is one of the yes. things that stayed with me from this series more than almost everything else. Mm -hmm. There were a couple character points that stood out to me that were... Um, she talks about her motives, including how she thought that the the one thing Mezhan Quad did wrong was not to be secret enough. Which yep. <laughs> I thought was very extremely telling and, and very good. She uh she says she tries not to base her decisions or her actions on 
whimsy quote, which includes things like wanting to get revenge for uh, the Jedi destroying the world ships. Because to her, she felt justified in hating the Jedi because they killed not only so many Yusanbang people, but also these environments of the world ships that had nurtured her and had like left her whole species, uh, let them survive. And but she has this conversation about like, but if I'm really being as objective as I think I am and as objective as I'm trying to base my thinking on, I cannot necessarily um, go so far as to say that revenge is logical. And that helped her make an alliance with Tahiri. It's the opposite of the kind of science, like evil scientist character who feels that morality is illogical and therefore it doesn't apply to them. She's like, she's almost the opposite of that. I know. Just so much insight into her motives and personality. I also had a, a laugh over the phrase, her spooky hair doing particularly spooky things. Yes, yes. I love everyone's reaction to her shaper headdress. There are all yes. these descriptions of like details of Yusanbong biotechnology and stuff. And then the more they get to know her, the more it's just like, oh, yeah, that's her spooky hair. It's fine. Yes, because I remember early on in the book, like early on in the book, she sees Anami, her hair curls up in revulsion and the way they describe her shaper hand curling up into a knot and my first thought was so is that the Yushanbong equivalent of giving someone the finger? Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> Meanwhile, I just kept thinking Medusa. <laughs> yeah, I picture it as very Medusa-like. Yes, yes. I think the thing that I appreciated more on this read-through was the complexity for her as a scientist in as a scientist in someone who like you said she's agnostic so she seems to believe in there being a higher power but she also knows that Shimra and everyone is lying about the cortexes and the information so to me that and then when she comes and she sees Onoma Sakat and everything to it I was like this is this is much more layered than I feel like I ever appreciated and understood before when I was reading this. Yeah. It's. I loved a lot of her characterization and personality, and I found it rather fascinating that what with all of their biotechnology, that Nenium has more weapons built into her than we're probably comfortable knowing about and of course Nominor is Nominor and despite all of that kills her with a rock and I can't tell if that's anticlimactic or or what it allowed for this very grotesque moment where she's kind of half alive and I think the fight was was good like she held her own and then she kind of had time to talk to Tahiri but also you're right there is an irony there and Nominor was extremely Nominor how many times does it say Nominor ran away in this book I think it's like four <laughs> so many Nominor is Nominoring off once again when is he not really exactly though was anybody else surprised that Harar just decided to join the prophet Yusha and Nenyim in running off to find Zonama Sekot? 
I can't kind of put my finger on Harar this time around. I know he appeared in basically one more scene, and he's drawn well as this kind of uh, dignified character. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like he's a thing that feels like he was included earlier in the series more than he was, which again is a credit to Greg Keyes, but leaves me going like, where did this guy come from? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't feel like that at all, which is weird. I don't know if it's maybe because all his his earlier stuff stuck out to me, and then all the stuff with the trickster goddess was fresher in my mind, but... Hmm. Now, that said, him deciding to do the whole uh, going with them did definitely throw me for a bit of a loop, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, though that was an excellently put together escape plan. <laughs> it really <Yes>. was. <laughs> it's, I love, I absolutely love how Naminor slash Yusha sends a message. Hey, you should come help me out here with my prophesying. I just kept on laughing at the number of times when Naminor is going, wait a minute but I made up all this Sanamasekot stuff because I'm the prophet and making up random junk and making it sound believable for my shamed ones is what I do. What do you mean it's all true? I made all this stuff up. <laughs> I don't know why he's surprised by that anymore, honestly. Uh, it's It just kept me laughing so much. Like, no, Manor, this is kind of karma, really. This is, the universe has an attitude. <laughs> There's the moment where he's thinking about, well, maybe if this doesn't work out, I can frame, like, the captain of the ship and throw him under the bus and then gradually <laughs> work my way back into Shimra's good graces again. And just, like, he's incorrigible. He's, no matter what he's doing, he's not happy unless he's plotting several more ways to backstab various unsuspecting people. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah, it's... I really enjoyed so many little threads in this book more than I ever thought I would. And speaking of Nominor and all of his shenanigans, hmm. Tahiri's utility within a mission to go into Yuzhantar, the moment where she realizes this prophet is wearing an Ugolith masker, is the moment of, oh, this is. Corrin's realization of Tahiri is going to be even more useful than we expected. Like, I felt like that scene really, I think set the tone is the word I'm looking for. Yes, that was a significant difference from the way Tahiri has been betra- uh, betrayed, portrayed before, which is that her uh, experience with the Yusan Vong does not bring her pain in any way. It's just, this is a thing that I know now. And she's used that information before, but she used it in a way that was unpleasant and confusing for her. And now it feels much more natural and much more integrated. Yeah, just her ability to see and discuss and notice all of these things that are just this is a thing that I know like it's normal just seeing that it's kind of nice to see that she has made some pretty decent peace with what's going on in her head 
I've said it so many times, but I really just want a story where she and Nanyim can, like, hang out and discuss their shared past and talk about, like, do they remember the in-jokes they had with their friends when they were kids and stuff like that? I want... Yushan Bong has to have stuff. stuff like that, okay? They have to. I feel like this book made them seem not... Like, they seem so much more normal. At least we got so many more little insights into their culture and how growing up works from some of those memories and just how the different casts interact. So many of those little views into their culture. The moment where she figured out it was Tahiri, Tahiri had her memories. I just, I died. Yep. Oh, (laughs) man. Like, I don't know. How do you get someone's memories without them realizing You've taken their memories. That's, yeah, I guess like Mezan Quad did it, but where did she get the memories? And was, yeah, it sounded like Nenyam was not aware that she donated her memories to this cause. That's just what happens when you work for a shaper. You got to sign the paperwork that's like, (laughs) you can use whatever. You can definitely take my hand, but my memories are probably fine too. Not to be held responsible for misuse of shaper hands, extra hands, spare body parts, don't know why they're spare, memories, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Although maybe, um, did they use cognition hoods in the lab? Maybe she could have, like, stolen her memories from a cognition hood pretty easily. And Nenyam was talking about those, those like brain cell grafts that can be used to instantly graft in some new knowledge if needed, as well as being used to like store knowledge and memories. Yeah. So like, yup. Sometimes I wonder. (laughs) Hmm. At some point the science just completely falls apart because they're like, as such as it ever would in star Wars, where like, they're like half of your brain is basically a Yusun Vong brain, but also she's been changed at the cellular level. <laughs> and I think I mean, we're going to get... I the science is slightly is... more plausible than I would have normally expected out of Star Wars. Is so it? Is it? <laughs> or at least they make it sound more plausible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody else kind of running with it makes makes it sound a little whatever. Maybe my suspension of disbelief is working better, too. It's all fake and in space. True. (laughs) Fake in space with weird, spooky hair tentacles. Yes. I love it. She can just, she doesn't have to, like, do anything to her hair in the morning. She can just rearrange her tentacles. Yes, but if you have a bad hair day, that's uh, that's probably a different level of bad hair day than (laughs) average. It's real bad. Oh, boy. I like that she has that, like, whip weapon still. That's so, uh, I don't know, that frightens me. Like a whip thing that just drills through you. Unfortunately, it didn't do enough for her. You would think it would have been effective, but of course, Naminor has this magical ability to somehow not die, no matter how, no matter how desperately other people want to kill him. It's because he has the Chekhov's player in Boyle again. Yes. And I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but I look at it and see Boyle every time. 
and he also has the Chekhov's villa sealed in a nice little equivalent of a Ziploc bag, basically. <laughs> and keep it under <laughs> his arm. So gross. Yes, like and a lets large everybody just think it's a tumor or something like that, and everybody yeah. just kind of runs with it. <laughs> oh, things that happen to a species that wind up in intergalactic space for too long. <laughs> this is what happens when we leave the biotechnology unsupervised yeah well that kind of connects to the scene about ithor about what biology or or ecology actually means to different people uh you wrote that down and i liked that too i thought it was a good way to like illustrate the difference but was there anything in particular that you wanted to say about it it was the Corin and Harar conversations in general i really liked because the more they talk to each other as they're learning about how the other thinks, it's some of that are things that I'm glad we waited until this far into the series to really get to have those kinds of conversations because we're close to the end of the series and these two species that have been so utterly at war realizing when we can listen to each other, suddenly things make more sense, even whether or not we ultimately have common ground. It's those insights into why Corin fought for Ithor, Harar's curiosity questions, what is so odd about a world covered in city. Like, Oh, who was it earlier in the series? I think it was Jason earlier in the series somewhere in Destiny's Way saying something about the Yushanbong do value life in their own weird way. But that doesn't really make sense to me fully until now. Yeah, honestly, it never made sense to me, the burning of Ithor for... I was like, there's so many other planets you guys should probably want to destroy... Well, I mean, I guess I know why, because of the whole pollen thing, but, like, yeah. Yeah. But you're right, this one did make it make more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which might have also just been, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the good old EU author spackling, but who knows. Yeah, I do wonder, now that you say that, whether that was a topic of conversation in a forum. You know, when we read The Unifying Force, I know that my copy, at least, has the thing that was like an author roundtable, like an interview between most, if not all, of the New Jedi Order authors. I don't remember. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, mine has a a disc that I appear to have lost. But. Huh. But I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm really interested to reread that after finishing the series again. Huh. God, I can't believe this book came with a CD-ROM. I know. <laughs> oh, it took me a fine. couple minutes to think of whether I still have devices other than my car that can play one. <laughs> I don't know, man. Huh. But that's a conversation for next month, probably. Yes, yes. Next month. Remind me about that later. (laughs) Also, why the... 
Sorry, I just happened to open my copy of Unifying Force, and I really don't know why I have lightly written notation marks to myself, in which I hand-wrote in the title, Revenge of the Sith, for because it just says Star Wars Episode 3, and I seem to have put check marks by other books and completely nonsensical numbering by other ones. Like, I have one by Rogue Planet, two by Rebel Dawn, three that. by Paradise Snare, four by Truce of Akura, five by Splinter of the Mind's Eye, six by The Approaching Storm, and then three in parentheses beneath Young Jedi Knight series? <laughs> what is the methodology there? I have that can't no possibly idea. be a reference. I have no clue. <laughs> I love that, though. Hmm. What did... What did Time Bria do? You were very serious about it, and I appreciate that. There oh, I know what this is. What? Okay, I don't know what the numbers are, but I know what the check marks are. The check marks are the books that I own. Oh. Which I know because I'm the idiot who couldn't read trilogies in order, and I have a check mark by the Thrawn trilogy, Asar's Revenge, I Jedi, and. Not Jedi Searcher, Dark Apprentice, but Champions of the Forest in the Jedi Academy trilogy. Huh. I don't know what any of the numbers mean, but... Huh. Sorry, this is not the topic at hand at all. Um, yeah. No, we're but it's still interesting, so... <laughs> I don't... Yeah, anyways. <laughs> We've already talked about Naminor, Naminoring, so let's yeah. move on to uh, Zanama Seacott, which has a small but significant role as a personage rather it's Seikot is the person Zonama is the planet right yes Seikot has a small role Zonama has a large role I feel like I remembered it having a yeah I thought Seikot was in it more than it was for Mm -hmm. some reason yeah I did too maybe that's another thing that we're remembering backwards from the next book maybe Well, then, we'll find out about that next month, but seeing Seikot appear as Nenyim. Uh, I, <laughs> my feels. Ow. <laughs> like, yeah. Too soon. It'll always be too soon yes, for you yes, guys. Let's be real. <laughs> 16 years later, it's too soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, she died on the planet that she loved, and that's good, but she also died immediately after finding the thing that she loved, and that's bad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's so much potential. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like I feel like somewhere in this episode, we've come up with at least one fanfic request, something to do with Nenyim and Tahiri. And- oh, yeah. Post-war <laughs> Nenyim and Tahiri. Heard comfort, 15,000 words. <laughs> Go! <laughs> okay, unpopular opinion, though, but, like, as much, like, her, I don't like reading her death, but I'm okay with it, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't one of those... So it was like, you know, you could see where her story could have continued to go, but it wasn't, like, say, Val in Solo, where you're like, seriously, you just killed the lady character, come on. Yes. Um, it felt somewhat earned because we've been with her for so long, and I'm like, if you're, this is where you're gonna die. Okay, like I'm okay with that. Yes, I think her arc being so important through the rest of the series makes it feel like it's it's not uh, like a fridging in any way. Yeah. It's I don't I'm not happy about it because she's a 
favorite character, but I don't find it offensive in any way. I do feel that um, maybe she narrowly missed, uh, like, dodged a bullet because we know a lot of characters did not get treated well in later series. So I would rather her die happy, basically, than have her some author make her an outright villain or do something you know unimaginably weird with the character because they're not sure what else to do with her 12 books later she honestly she probably would have just been ignored she probably would have gone the danny route oops and the hurrah route right i'm not talking anymore because i think i just got a spoiler (laughs) Yeah, oh. just so we don't have to hit anyone with the spoiler bat. <laughs> well, just okay. go ahead and just smack me over the head with it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Discovery of Yusun Vong life forms on the planet? That yeah, was that, crazy. That was that note there and just Nenium's reaction of, but this does not make scientific sense. And I am curious if that science tracks or not. The whole, like, um, mass destruction would be the only reason why it would be such a small... Yes, yes. So, I was a geology major, and paleontology was really what I loved. Uh-huh. Yeah, her, it's decent. Mass okay. extinction, massive ecological niches opened up. Don't ask me how to really pronounce that. And, like... Over time, stuff does evolve and fill it all, but in the immediate aftermath of a mass extinction, there are going to be a lot of big missing things going on. Huh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, reading reading this after surviving a whole geology major and and actually learning more about, about how mass extinctions seem to work in the fossil record... It was kind of cool seeing a somewhat more living representation of it in fiction that didn't just make me go, must suspend disbelief, must suspend disbelief. <laughs> I also wonder, what do you, how do shapers know so much about ecology? Or is that just because Nenyim tends to read all of the extra books that were not in the assigned reading? I think it's that. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope it's, yeah. it's that Nenium read Hogwarts A History, but also oh, I think totally it <laughs> might have been something that they had to do when they were setting up the world ships in the first place. Like, how do you make sure those ecosystems will be self-sustaining? Hmm. And she also totally read Hogwarts A History, but... <laughs> Absolutely. Does Nenium read fiction? Or do the Yu Zen Vong have fiction? Yeah, do they? There's actually a reference. She makes a reference, I think it's her, to the, the creche, uh, creche when they were kids, the kindergarten, where they were taught by someone called a truth speaker, but it's used in the context like, like you would say a storyteller. So maybe they don't. Like, huh. apart from... Sometimes I wonder if apart from, because apart from like religious mythology, we really haven't heard too much about fiction. Hmm. I mean, it would make sense for them not to really have that sort of cultural stuff. Yeah. 
And I feel like any sort of storytelling they have would be related to their their mythology and their gods. I just said mm-hmm. gods really weirdly, but um, <laughs> it's like because it, it's a, such a hyper religious society. I feel like maybe the what the one explanation is that they're supposed to be kind of space orcs, and the kind of enemy horde trope doesn't usually have stories. But also the fact that they are so religious, they might kind of consider if people started telling other stories about gods, they would be considered heretical and they would just stop. So maybe like a storytelling tradition that was um, creative rather than orthodox never really developed. I think that makes sense because, I mean, supposedly every invention or like everything they do, all the stuff the shapers do is passed down through the cortex, right? Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that there can't be, that there shouldn't be stories that are created. Because mm-hmm. it's such a big deal that nothing in the cortex is created. It was all given yes. to them by the gods. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And it's very clear that innovation is heretical. Yeah. So I think they're, yeah. I, I Poor Nan Yim died before she ever got the chance to read a novel. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, I have a whole pile on my floor she can read if she wants. Yeah, (laughs) I haven't even touched them yet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This whole episode is not going to be about Nenyam, but it kind of is. You're not even sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'm going to add to the list of fan art of Nenyam reading a Star Wars novel, which in the year 2019 would be the most niche thing, but it would be very good. Do it, somebody. Somebody who can art, please do it. <laughs> Odie, add it to the list. <laughs> They're going to look for reference pictures and find deviant art things from 2003. Oh my 2000... god. 2000. Well, isn't that her on the cover? Yes, three. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's her on the cover. You can't really see her hair, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. But yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Do it for Megan, guys. She's the sanest of all of us. Thank you. <laughs> it's a low goal. I, mean, I know. It's a low bar. <laughs> what are the benchmarks of this exactly? Uh, uh, me and Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> so I added this these notes about Jaina and Wedge, which surprises me because I'm not the biggest Jaina fan on this podcast, and I'm certainly not the biggest Wedge fan. So me, and I just finished the book like two hours before the podcast. (laughs) Tell me your your recent Wedge feelings. Um, I love him, and someone pointed out, I think it was in the Tashi Station Slack, how great it is that both Wedge and Han are like these fan, these young fanboys. Yeah, who are just yes. like, oh my god, you were at the battle, and Wedge has this moment where he's just like, all right, now you're just sucking up. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but I like it, and I love, I love that we got to see that side. Um, I love the brief, the little bits with Pash Kraken. He's ridiculous, but for whatever reason, still one of my faves. Um, and I liked, I liked the callbacks to the Thrawn books, uh, especially with the little. I don't think Pelion was in this one very much. Um, but actually, related to that, uh, yeah. I had forgotten that there are two different men who are Pelion's, or implied to be Pelion's bastard children. 
Because I always remember uh, Victor Rige, who we saw yes. in the previous trilogy and who comes back at some point later on. Um, mm-hmm. But I completely forgot about Devis, whose name apparently starts with me. Hold on. Someone looked it up. Minar. Minar Devis. And apparently yeah. his mother is from, like, the Karen Travis books during the Clone Wars, which I do nothing about. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And this also led to some interesting conversations in the Slack where uh, Dinner Leader could only think of Min Donis's name when you're trying to think of Min Ardevis, which understandable. Oh, <laughs> and then someone made a request for... Hey, can you imagine if Min was actually Minar? Imagine the family dinners with Pelion, Min, Kearney, and Kolot. So, Odie, you can now officially add that one to the chart. But, um... <laughs> I okay, love I'm gonna that, have like... to pull this up in in the Slack, because usually I'm only looking at my work Slack. Oh. Yeah, I, I... Oh, wow. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. Um... There were two things that caught me off guard at the end of this book. One of them was that reveal about Pelion's son. And the other one was, did Pash die? Like, I honestly, I say this in um, uh, Ember Island players way, but I honestly couldn't tell. No, he doesn't. So um, they mentioned Pash and they mentioned, uh, I think, Judder Page. Yes. Yes. So they are both going to come back in the next book. They, those two have a big role to play together in the next book. Okay. They're not dead. That would have been made a big deal if he was actually dead, but I couldn't remember. No, they're captives of the Yuzen Vong. All right. Uh Yeah. Um, I guess that's a spoiler, but they're not really NJO characters. No, they're more Thrawn trilogy and X-Wing. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but, uh, and then when you're saying about Jaina, I agree, I think one of you said this stuff is fairly forgettable. That's me. But I like, yeah, but I like that she was still in it, and that she was still, like, handling things. Um, I don't think she has a death wish at this point. I think she's just trying to get stuff done, and trying to, like, not let other people die and take the risks that she's more suited to take. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it definitely does not feel like she has a death wish anymore, at least nowhere near to the same extent she had. And yeah. it she has aged a lot in this series, having had so much responsibility on her head, and she kind of realizes that. And yeah. Part of the reason the I think they brought up the death wish thing was to show how much progress she's made, that she has actually resolved any of that that she once had, and she now has this serenity and this confidence to talk her way out of things, which is a very Jedi move and is also a very Leia move. And some of her dialogue in this book reminded me a lot of Leia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how she tricked the... Uh tricked the guy with the mind trick like it was a double layered mind trick at the end i was like that's brilliant that's my girl that was that was excellent that was just so excellent i have to point out that the other part of her plot that i was watching was was alima watch and alima is doing well she just is part of the squadron now she's just in the background so she seems happy she's doing her best yes i'm proud of her yes 
the ominous last sentence is the last note here. <laughs> yeah, the last thing I have to say about this book is that this one and the unifying force both have really good endings. And the last like couple sentences are this of this are soon enough the stars returned spangled on a night sky paragraph break the wind began oh <laughs> which i really yeah. enjoy for so many reasons it's really atmospheric it's it's a beginning at the ending and it's set apart which gives it this weird feeling of isolation which is exactly what zanamase god is experiencing as it like bounces through hyperspace that is really good. I hadn't noticed that before before you pointed it out. Huh. So, what have we missed so far? Anything? Do we have any listener questions? We did not. We just talked about Pelion's bastard children. <laughs> I didn't actually check Twitter, so we might have had some there, and if we did, I'm sorry that I missed them. Um, I had tried to keep an eye on Twitter, but I don't think I've seen anything, have I? I have um, not been keeping an eye on Twitter, and me searching the, ta- the hashtag will not be good podcast content. So I apologize if you asked us a question the next in the last, like, two hours on Twitter. Um, but so let's, we could do counters if we have any other feelings about this book. My, my big feelings are that I'm glad to get back to characters I care about. I'm I'm actually finished this one this afternoon and was really tempted to just start the unifying force right away because I do I care about what's going to happen next. Yes, and I may want to start the unifying force uh not a few days before we're recording. It's a big Yeah, that's a tome. <laughs> I recall yeah. that it's an even longer book than I expected it to be. Not in a bad way. It's just a lot of book. Yeah, I think I could brain someone with this hardcover. It's a 530-page hardcover. Quick, where's Nominor? Too soon? Nah. <laughs> Counters. Jedi deaths? Any? I don't think so. No. No deaths? None. Kip references of any type? None. I was <laughs> disappointed. Yeah. Really? We were way off on that Nogri thing, I gotta say. Yeah. I, I just sworn so many more of them died. Yeah, was that seriously just my brain remembering other books? I think so. That's all Who right. That's part of the journey we've gone on, realizing the role of the Nogri. Um, okay, I think that's it for the counters. Uh, we are going to talk more about what we're going to do after the Unifying Force episode. After the Unifying Force episode. So stay tuned for that. Yep. And if you have any great or terrible suggestions on what we should do, go for it. <laughs> no, don't go for it. Rocky, I have a plan. <sighs> well, speaking of which, if you want to give us terrible and or excellent suggestions, where can we be found online? I am on Twitter, Lady Darth Kytus. I have appeared on the Of Dice and Droids podcast. Presently retired from writing for 1138. Who knows? There's going to come a time when I write more Star Wars blog stuff again. It'll happen. I'm at Blogful of Words on Twitter, where I write Alphabet Squadron fanfiction. I'm at Chaos Bria on Twitter, where I talk about Dragon Age a lot. I just recently killed another high dragon tonight. That was great. Um, 
I also occasionally do some writing stuff over at Tashi Station, uh, sometimes for StarWars.com, and more often than not recently in Marvel's Age of Resistance uh, comic series, I've been writing some of the essays at the back, of which the last two should be coming out fairly soon, depending on when this podcast goes up. Yay. And as our final wrap-up, this podcast is distributed as a part of the Tashi Station Network. Join us next time when we read The Unifying Force by James Lucino. And this podcast is still distributed as a part of the Tashi Station Network. And you can tell very well that I didn't double check some of my notes here. But you can indeed read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Vongcast. Thanks for listening and, well, we'll see you again next time. Okay, we're avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. You are now being recorded.